Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to State of Fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Welcome to State of Fear episode 42. Today we have the real life version of Terminal minus Tom Hanks. Then we dive into the duct tape murder of South Dakota, Robert Leroy Anderson. I'm your host, Chris Davila, and joining me is my co-host, James Bishop. What's, What's going on, James? Man, I'm doing all right. How you doing, my friend? Man, I'm doing good on a fine, lovely Wednesday evening. Uh, I'm, I'm a little sick of all this uh, back and forth weather. You know, it was cold as hell this past weekend. Today it warmed up a bit. My my allergies and sinuses are just going haywire. That sucks. Yeah, and it sucks for me because I can't ride my damn motorcycle. Oh, well, that does it's, suck. Yeah, that does suck. And then it's like we have crappy weather during the week, and then on the weekend. I mean, should I say beautiful weather during the week, and then when the weekend mm-hmm. get here, everything go to hell. But yeah, I'm glad we're doing South Dakota, a very underrated state in my opinion. And you've been there, right? Yes, I have. I and mean, what I did, did you all go the there for. All the touristy crap. Of course, I saw the great uh, Mount Rushmore, the chart, the uh, Crazy Horse Monument, and I did go to Deadwood, too, which is the home of one of South Dakota's most famous quick-draw residents, Mr. Wild Bill Hickok. He was also killed there. He was also killed there, and I went and visited his grave, and Mr. Mr. Uh, you know, Price is Right, Bob Barker was there, Tom Brokaw, and few other individuals born there. One of my favorites, Miss Catherine Bach of Dukes of Hazard fame. Miss Daisy Duke, yeah. So it's a beautiful, beautiful state. And they've also got this uh, one area. It's up. They call it the mystery area. You go there, and it's it's very hard to explain. But the the uh, I wish I could articulate it but it's like very strange it's like they got these cabins that are leaning on these hillsides and this gravity and everything just looks 
weird. It's it's like optical illusion. It's like physical illusion, even mental illusion. It's just weird how this stuff works. It's just it's just odd. I mean, it was, and we just lucked into finding it when we were on the highway. We just driving around, and all of a sudden it was there, and just called the mystery area or some shit like that. You know, I remember seeing uh, those pictures on Hazel's Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw them. They were really cool. They looked really uh, crazy because she's like, it looks like she's like in the corner of yeah, the cabin. I, I highly recommend exactly. She's standing in an angle, but yet the cabin is level on the ground. Mm-hmm. But yet inside, you have to lean. It yeah. is the weirdest, weirdest damn thing. I swear. Really cool. Maybe put the some pictures up on the uh, on the yeah. on the social media later Might on this do week that. or Might do or that. later on when this uh, episode drops. I should say. Yes, sir. Sounds like an idea. I just wanted to let our uh, viewers know it is actually called the Cosmos Mystery Area. And it has a four and a half star rating. It is awesome. It's about 10 bucks to get in, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's worth it. So if you're ever up that way, it's up around Rapid City. So it's it's really cool. That's not bad at all. No, 10 bucks, that's a great deal. Yeah, that's why you got to love Google on the fly, man. You got to find find your stuff quick. That's right. On the (laughs) fly. Go ahead, my main man. Hey, friends, how would you like to share your story with us for a future episode? Now it's real easy. State of Fear has a hotline. If you want to call us, it's 713-581-4551. Tell us your cool or strange encounters, UFOs, cryptids, or ghosts, whatever kind of story you have, we'd love to hear it. If you'd like to remain anonymous, your name is not... Your name is not required, but we do ask that you include where it happened, state or town, and the approximate date if you can. All right, well, we got a uh, kind of a long episode today, so why don't we go ahead and get uh, right into your uh, weird news of the day, shall we? Man, let's do it. friends today we have a great one uh if you've ever seen the movie terminal with tom hanks this act this story is actually very similar to it at least in some aspects uh this guy wasn't quite as creative but the title of today's story is covid19 of course it's covid man lived in chicago airport in a secret it's like a secret area for three months it says as the virus made him too scared to fly home Three months, man. Yeah. Now, I'm going to call him, I did it, because I don't like to pronounce, I don't know how to pronounce his first name. I did it, Singh, has been charged with a felony criminal trespass to a restricted area of an airport and misdemeanor theft. Poor guy. The story was actually dated yesterday, January 19th of 2021, and it is coming out of the UK, Sky.com. <laughs> it's sky.com you know you, sky news man i love these guys they're not as uh they're not as fun to me as metro but you know what they're not too bad i gotta i gotta, I gotta say it's quite interesting that we got the story from a uk 
website, but it's about a man who was in the Chicago airport. So why do we get no American stories of it? Man? What's I don't up with that? Know. I don't know. You know, I don't go looking on no American sites for funny stories or strange news because you just can't seem to find as good ones for some reason. Yeah, any reporters listening out there, get on it, man. All right, well, the story goes like this. According to police, he arrived in Chicago on a flight from Los Angeles on the 19th of October. Mr. Singh, who survived on food from other passengers, is unemployed and lives in the city of Orange, California. It was unclear why he was in Chicago in the first place. Cook County Judge Susanna Ortiz, Cook County Blues Brothers, reacted with surprise when a prosecutor set out the allegations, according to the Chicago Tribune. She reportedly told the court, So, if I understand you correctly, you're telling me that an unauthorized, non-employee individual was allegedly living in a secure part of the O'Hare Airport terminal from the 19th of October to the 16th of January 2021, and it was not detected? I want to understand you correctly. <laughs> so, yep, undetected for three months. Uh, I, I can see how he could blend in, but, you know, for, you know, I just, that is weird. On Saturday, two employees from United Airlines were said to have approached Mr. Singh and asked for his identification. Assistant State Attorney Kathleen Haggerty said he had lowered his face mask before showing them an airport ID badge, which he had reportedly found and was, quote-unquote, scared to go home due to COVID. The badge apparently belonged to an operations manager who had reported it missing on 26 October. You'd think they'd cancel it, especially if it's yeah. like a scan badge. It's like, hello, even my job does that. Yeah, even mine does that. Yep. Assistant Public Defender Courtney Smallwood said Mr. Singh does not have a criminal background and has a master's degree in hospitality. You know what? A master's degree in hospitality. Howdy! You know, <laughs> I mean, what the hell do you need? How do you qualify? Well, and it said the unusual allegations were not violent, reported the Tribune. You if know, he w he, if he has a master's degree in hospitality, he could have got a, a job at any of the airports. Yep around there that, that's what that agrees for so he could have got a job there yep now see the thing is he he's unemployed and everything but this next part cracks me up first of all how to get on a plane and afford it in the first place yeah that's a good point but if he was able to post the one thousand dollar bail mr singh would be barred from entering the airport you know if he was yeah judge ortiz <laughs> Judge Ortiz added, quote, the court finds these facts and circumstances quite shocking for the alleged period of time that it has occurred. The Chicago Department of Aviation said that while the incident remains under investigation, it has been able to, quote, determine that this gentleman did not pose a security risk to the airport or the traveling public. Now, how in the hell would they know? First of all, they don't even know who this fool was. He's roaming yeah. around the airport for three months. You know, and no, forget it. Well, anyway, that's the story. I thought that was pretty funny because I actually love the movie The Terminal. I mm -hmm. was combing through. There were some other more, quote-unquote, goofy ads out there. But I went with this one because I thought it was pretty interesting. I kind of like those human interest stories. But I wonder if he, like, uh, rebuilt part of the airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, ran around collecting the uh, push carts for the quarters and shit like that. You know, it's funny because the terminal is already based on an actual 
a story of, of a guy doing exactly that. It's based yep. on a real on a real life story. So it's yes, just sort it of was. repeating the cycle. But uh, man, I can't believe he went three months. I mean, he, three he's, months undetected and supposedly he's crafty and O'Hare supposed to be one of the bigger hub airports yeah. in the nation. So you would think security would catch on to this guy. That's actually again. kind of scary if you think about it. Cause I mean, he, he was just, you know, he was homeless, but he, ha- he, he managed to swipe a badge. Well, actually it said someone. unemployed. He's unemployed. He wouldn't didn't oh. say homeless, but unemployed. Right. I'm correct. Yeah. Un- unemployed. Still, he was unemployed. He swiped a badge from someone. He stayed in the airport for three months. <laughs> You know, he he could have been up to all kinds of no good if he really wanted. So it's so funny that so like people who want to do like harm to major like, you know, uh, infrastructure or whatever. They obviously try too hard. This guy didn't try at all. And he was able to he managed to stay in a secure part of the airport for three months. That's what's scary. Supposedly secured part. It's like, what the hell are we paying these people for? <laughs> you know, what good is the TSA if some schmuck can camp out in a broom closet somewhere for three right. months and not be picked up or detected? And, and swipe a damn badge that apparently never got wiped out. Well, Chicago is also a 24-hour airport. I think for the most part, uh, I think it runs almost round the clock, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure it does, yeah. I mean, the airport here in Houston, I think, opens at like 4 o'clock and it closes at like 2 in the morning or something like that. There's like two or three hours when there's nothing there, but geez, mm-hmm. I don't know how I pulled it off, but hey, man, kudos, brother. Wow. Well, <laughs> let's hope that at some point he gets back to, and again, if he's from, where is he from, Florida, oh, California, what the hell is he doing in Chicago? Uh, pfft. They never, they never said so. Well, hopefully, he got back to California though, and he's back home, and he is doing all right. Hopefully, stay in his own broom closet. Stay out the airport, fool. <laughs> That's right. All right, all right, bud. Let's uh, let's get on to the main topic, shall we? Yes, sir. Okay, so today we are going to be discussing the duct tape murderer of South Dakota, a.k.a. Robert Leroy Anderson. A.k.a. the Home Depot killer. <laughs> a.k.a. the Lowe's murderer. <laughs> <laughs> a.k.a. the Ace Hardware yes, here we bastard. Are, here we are giggling at murder. No, it's not funny, but you know what? We gotta yeah. make light of it. Yes, you got, you got to somewhat. You yeah, got, you got to kind of lighten the mood on things these days because a lot of tenseness out there. So find some, find some levity in the story. Yes, sir. So all all the information that we're going to talk about with the story today comes from one article. It's called Robert Leroy Anderson Awaking the Devil, and it's by Rachel Bell. So kudos to Rachel Bell. Way to go, Rach. Monday, January 29th, 1996, was not an ordinary day for the Strail family of Canastota, South Dakota. It was their son Nathan's second birthday and they looked forward to celebrating later that evening. Piper Strail, 28, was preparing to take Nathan and her daughter, Shana, 3, to their babysitter before going to work at the Southeastern Children's Center in Sioux Falls. Her husband Vance, 29, left less than three hours earlier for his plumbing job. Sometime around 9.30 a.m., a man entered their trailer while Piper, Shayna, and Nathan were still there. At some point, a violent struggle occurred between Piper and the man, which the children witnessed. The intruder then abducted Piper, 
leaving Shayna and Nathan alone, utterly traumatized by what they had seen. Patty Sinclair, a daycare worker at the Southeastern Children's Center, called the house at approximately 3 p.m. because Piper had failed to show up for work. Patty was surprised when Shayna answered the phone in a tearful panic. Patty asked if anyone was home, but Shayna claimed that they were alone at the house. Patty was even more shocked when little Shayna suggested that her parents were likely dead and then hung up. Patty called back and Shayna, sobbing hysterically, said that she didn't want her parents to die. And according to court documents, Shayna told Patty that her mother left with a man she knew in a black car. And Patty stayed online for about 45 minutes trying to soothe the little girl. While she talked to Shayna, Patty instructed a co-worker to contact the sheriff's office. Sheriff Gene Taylor arrived at the home a little after 5 p.m. that day. Taylor noticed the trailer door was open. He walked in and saw that the living area was in a state of disarray, indicating that a struggle had occurred. The contents of Piper's purse were strewn on the floor along with other household items. Taylor went towards the rear of the trailer to the bedroom where he found Shayna unharmed but crying. Two-year-old Nathan, who was also unharmed, walked around in a dazed state. Piper was nowhere to be found. Taylor suspected that the children had been left to their own devices for quite some time. Oh, brother. How traumatic. You never, oh, no, get, never get over nothing like that. Mm. I just... Yeah, it's that's horrible. Sheriff Taylor and Jim Stevenson, a state criminal investigator who was called to the scene, questioned Shayna about what had happened that day. According to Roy Hazelwood and Stephen G. Mitchell's Dark Dreams, the little girl told them, quote, Mommy's going to die, end quote, and that a mean man came into the trailer, argued with their mother, and fired his gun. Afraid that the man might harm her children, Piper told Shayna and Nathan to run and hide as the intruder grabbed her and took her away in his black car. The little girl also recalled the man taking Nathan's birthday present, a blue tent, before leaving. Man, don't take the present. Leave the kid's present, man. It's his birthday. sorry-ass murdering sorry some bitch. What a piece of shit. Yeah. A little more than an hour after Sheriff Taylor arrived, Vance came home. Shayna immediately threw herself into her father's arms and began crying. He questioned Shayna about what happened, but she was excited and stressed by the day's events and had difficulty trying to communicate. He was only able to make out that a man came in, stole Nathan's tent, and that their mother wasn't coming back. Vance's concern turned to horror when he learned more of the details from the sheriff and Stevenson. His wife had been abducted. All he could do was comfort his children and hope that the sheriff would find Piper alive. Three days after Piper's abduction, Vance remembered an important piece of information, which he told to the police. It would prove to be the break they were all looking for, and it would lead to the identification of one of South Dakota's most sadistic sexual murderers. Oh, Lord have mercy. Now, if he knew treat. some for damn mission, if he knew some information, what the hell did he hold out for? He probably didn't put two and two together. He probably didn't associate the man who came by a few days earlier with with the man that killed ah, his wife. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, duct taping son of a bitch. I hate guys like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not even not even human. They're subhuman no, they're pieces not. of crap. So. On July 29th, Vance told the police about a man he remembered visiting the residence several days prior to his wife's disappearance. 
He recalled that a balding man in his 20s named Rob Anderson came to their trailer at about 7.30 a.m. on July 26 to inquire about enrolling his kids into Vance and Piper's Bible Camp for Children, which they operate every July. Fans claim that Anderson seemed startled to see him as if he didn't expect him to be home. Once Anderson overcame his initial surprise, he briefly asked about the camp. Vance referred him to Piper, who explained that the camp was over for the summer, but suggested he sign his kids up for next year. Anderson agreed and wrote down his name and telephone number before leaving. Dumbass. Yeah. I'm going to come kill you, but I'm going to leave you <clears throat> my name and number here. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> You know, instead of taking that tent, he should have took that paper he wrote his name down on before he left. Dumbass. Yeah, not a great thinker. No. I mean, and that's Please. also... Oh, I'm sorry. That is, a, that is very, very unusual for a criminal, too. You know, they're usually quite intelligent. Yeah. You know, when it comes to stuff like this, especially if you're going to be a murderer. Especially you if know. he stakes out the house beforehand, you usually do it in a way that you're... You know, you don't, you, you're not seen or you don't leave any trace behind. Yeah, well, that's like those assholes that rob a bank, but they've got their work shirt on. It's got their name on it, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got no their, shit, right? Got their company thing and their name badge, and they're yeah. showing up on the six, 6 o'clock news. You might as well just walk down the damn police station and turn yourself in. Yeah, no so. shit. The police Im- immediately began investigating the information Vance gave them. Their new suspect was 26-year-old Robert Leroy Anderson, a maintenance man at John Merle & Company, meatpacking plant. They also learned that Anderson had been married twice and had four children himself. Several witnesses who were interviewed during the police investigation claimed to have seen a black truck in the vicinity of the Strails trailer on the day Piper went missing. One of the witnesses was a highway worker who told investigators that he saw a black Bronco approximately three times that day, once at around 9.45 a.m., a second time approximately one hour later, and a final time at 12.30 p.m. I'm sorry. If you just said white Bronco, I'd have busted out laughing. I know. That's what I, I've I was been thinking, like, too. Holy <laughs> shit. A neighboring couple told investigators that at around 11.45 a.m. on the day in question, they witnessed a black Bronco close to the trailer. According to court documents, they noticed Shayna and Nathan standing alone by the roadside looking upset. The neighbors saw the truck standing again. Standing by the roadside home. looking upset. I'm sorry. I'm just trying <laughs> to add on. some flair. Yep. <laughs> well, it sounds like it. The neighbor saw the truck again about one hour later. It was standing in front of the driveway, and they saw a, quote, man in a black baseball cap, end quote, and jeans walking away from their residence. He's not much of color, is he? Huh? No. <laughs> it's all black. The black hat, yeah. black truck, black this, black that. He's like, maybe I'll blend in, but it makes him stand out more in the daylight. I guess so. On July 30th, investigators contacted Anderson and asked him to voluntarily go to the police station to be interviewed, which he did. During approximately eight hours of videotaped questioning, Anderson calmly admitted to going to the Strails trailer four days earlier. Even though he hadn't established an alibi for July 29th, he did tell investigators that he returned to the house that day to ask permission to use the archery rain on their property, but no one answered the door, so he left. Anderson denied knowing anything about her abduction or Piper's whereabouts. Eventually, they would catch him in his lies. Ah, uh, you son of a bitch. While, <laughs> while the police were investigating Anderson, investigators got a warrant to search his blue Bronco and home. During the search, they would find what would prove to be the most incriminating evidence found against Anderson. Unfortunately, 
it would not lead to Piper's whereabouts. In fact, she would never be found. Oh, man. And that's the worst kind. You know, we've we've talked about missing people, murders before and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just always the worst part because there's zero closure. Yeah. You know, you're left knowing that your loved one is out there somewhere, probably either buried in some shithole or thrown in a lake or something like that. It's just, oh, my God. You know, and as big of, of just pieces of, of dung these as these killers are, it's even more incomprehensible that they will not give these families closures by telling them where the body's at. They're already in jail. They're already facing either life or death penalty. Yeah. Just tell them where the body's at. Just spit it out. Problem is, he worked in a meat company. I wonder if he took the bodies in there, snuck them in, and ground them up into hamburgers so there would be no evidence. That's a very good theory, yeah. Well, you know, I think like that. (laughs) He was a sick, sick bastard. (laughs) No. No, man, no. I just... It just makes sense if you have those kind of things at your disposal. Why the hell wouldn't you use them to cover up crimes you're committing? I mean, yeah, but this had... guy's not that smart. He left his name and phone number. Well, that's true. Trailer. That's true. He said, yeah. "I disposed of the body, but I left my name." So, yeah, that <laughs> is that is strange. Yeah, idiot. Yeah. As investigators searched Anderson's truck, they discovered several receipts for duct tape, black water-based tempura paint, paintbrushes, and a bucket most of which were purchased a few days prior to and on the day Piper went missing. Investigators suspected that the paint was used to disguise Anderson's Bronco. Their suspicions would prove to be correct. They called in experts to analyze the paint job on the truck more closely. Samples were taken and chemically tested. They found that the Bronco had been painted with the same material bought by Anderson on July 29th. He painted his truck with paintbrushes <laughs> ain't nobody gonna notice how redneck is this bastard hey i'm gonna tell you what pretty damn redneck <laughs> paintbrushes and water bait so water-based paint not even like a sealer so if you had a heavy rain that shit would have drained like an emo's makeup that confession time i helped my uncle paint a uh romping through well we had an old toyota forerunner or something like that he had and he just wanted to turn it into a deer lease truck, a hunting truck. So we basically put a base coat of just spray paint green, and then we got branches and spray painted patterns and wood and okay. all kinds of shit. And we camouflaged yeah. it, but we painted it with spray paint cans. But know. that was for a purpose. It was for a purpose. He but, he, he didn't. It wasn't. What and it was his. It was his his deer lease truck, not his main vehicle. That's true, but still. <laughs> like he he didn't drive around every day in that truck. This guy th- couldn't be bothered to do anything more than paint his truck with a sp- with a brush and yeah. think it would look good. Well, apparently, wow. like I said, his his intelligence kind of seems to fluctuate. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. And it says the paint used was a kind that could be easily applied and washed off. Yeah, because it was water based. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, maybe maybe you were right in that earlier part when you did speak about blue or whatever the hell. Yeah. Yeah, there was a part that, that said the truck was blue before that was all black. So maybe yeah. it was blue originally, he painted it black. I don't know. Who knows? He's, he's Interestingly, a witness claimed that he saw Anderson cleaning his car on the same day Piper disappeared. It was believed he was washing off the paint and ridding the car of any other incriminating evidence. Yet he failed to do a thorough job. Well, 
you know okay so maybe it's not that dumb i mean if he, if he wanted it to be a temporary different colors but at the same time i don't think it's a big town no maybe there are a ton of broncos in that town but you never know but he just ignorant he ignorant and somehow I feel like he probably would have missed a whole section of the car. And so it'd be like one blue section <laughs> that he just missed. I don't feel like he was thorough in his in his job. No, he, he sounded like a pretty sorry ass fool to me. Inside the Bronco, investigators found even more incriminating evidence. Oh, they shit. discovered a wooden platform that had holes drilled into it. It was believed that it was made as a restraining device in which a person's ankles and hands could be tied to metal hoops that were strategically inserted into the board. Strategically? Mm-hmm. The platform had been sized to fit perfectly in the back of the truck. Oh, hell. This dude spent more time on that platform than on his paint job. That's it. The 50, 50 shading some shit. <laughs> the investigative team also found hairs attached to the wooden platform, which genetically matched Piper's. Great. Moreover, a dirty shovel furniture moving straps, weeds, a toolbox, and dog hairs similar to those of the Strails dog were also discovered in his truck. It was becoming increasingly clear that Anderson had a darker side than that which he presented to the police station earlier. You think so? Uh, doy. Hey, welcome to Everything Outdoors. Can I help you find anything? Hey, yeah. Can you point us to the camping gear? Sure, aisle two. Snowboarding? Just bought a new Nissan Pathfinder. It's got intelligent 4x4, and we want to hit the backcountry. Aisle 18. And the boats? Are you sure you can do all this? Up to 6,000 pounds towing, we're good to go. Oh, where's the scuba gear? Return to rugged in the all-new 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. Available intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Towing capability varies by configuration. See Nissan owner's manual for proper use. Yeah. At Anderson's Sioux Fall Homes, investigators found a pair of jeans in his laundry basket. They were stained with what appeared to be blood. The jeans were taken to a police lab and analyzed and were found that the DNA structure of the blood did not match that of Anderson or his family and was believed to have been Piper's blood. They also found semen stains on the jeans, but they were not able to genetically match them to Anderson because they had such a limited specimen in the test. Clinton, is that you? <laughs> Damn. During the search, investigators also discovered a set of handcuff keys at his home. However, Anderson constantly denied that they, he owned a pair of handcuffs. After questioning, Anderson was free to leave, yet the police had little doubt that he was involved in Piper's kidnapping. They just needed more proof to make their case. Uh, you got blood that wasn't his. Mm -hmm. Hair on the thing. Restraining strappers, dirty ass shovel. Yeah. You need more proof. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, can't wait to see what else they have to find before they figure out that this fool is the killer. I think, unfortunately, it's one of those situations where, you know, no body, no crime, unfortunately. Oh, the hell with that. Which I hate, but yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of evidence, but it could very well. I mean,. Maybe if it's just in the truck, that's one thing. But come on, guys. It was on a damn device that he created mm. specifically to tie something up. And it wasn't a damn cow. He could just be out there getting freaky. You know, we don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's not taken to the swinger club, that's for sure. <laughs> on the same day of Anderson's interview, Shayna and Vance were called into the police station to view a six-picture photographic lineup. 
One of the pictures was an outdated driver's license photo of Anderson with long hair and a mustache. Classy. Shayna and Vance were unable to identify the man that had come to their house because they were using an outdated picture. Good job. Approximately two days later, Shayna and Vance were asked to return to the police station to view some more photos. Once again, Anderson's picture was included in the photographic lineup. This time, they had a more current photo depicting him with shorter hair and clean shaven. And almost immediately, Vance picked out the picture of Anderson as the man who had come to the house on July 26th. Man. Yeah, Shana I was separate... the kids ain't going to forget that. So, yeah. They just... Well, that was, the, that was the father, so. They're going to use an old-ass picture, man. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Shayna separately picked out the same photo and identified him as the man who took her mother. The positive identification gave Sioux Falls police the evidence they needed to press charges against Anderson. And on August 2nd, 1996, he was arrested on two counts of kidnapping. They were unable to charge Anderson with murder because they lacked evidence of a body. No Ugh, body, no crime. God's sakes. In September of that year, police launched a massive search for Piper and any other evidence that might convict Anderson of murder. They wanted to make sure he would be jailed for the full extent of his crime. They employed the help of hundreds of volunteers who searched the wooded area around the Big Sioux River close to the town of Baltic, South Dakota. During the hunt for evidence, several significant items were discovered. Half of a shirt shorn down the middle with the logo Code Zero was found. It was the same shirt Piper was wearing the day she disappeared. A man picked up the other half of the black and white striped shirt on July 29th on a road near Baltic. According to court documents, he initially thought it was a referee shirt, yet when he discovered it wasn't, he threw it in the back of his car and forgot about it. He later gave it to police when he realizes the shirt's significance. Who but picks hold up, up random pieces Who the of clothing? Exactly. Who the hell <laughs> I was just about to say, you just you just make a habit of driving down the highway picking up shit, motherfucker. <laughs> Whoa, Jeez. look at this. It's half a shirt. Now I'm going to take it. We can make rags out of this. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's to be a good shirt for my little dog. I mean, I don't know what the South Dakotan accent sounds like. <laughs> I don't either, but I just assume anybody that, that picks up random pieces of clothing on the road and throws them back of the truck is going to have that sort of accent. Yeah. I get It'd be funny if you have like a British accent, though. I get you know? five hours with this half a shirt. <laughs> Near the Big Sioux River... Where part of the shirt was found was a roll of duct tape with human hairs attached to it. The hair was later analyzed and found it was consistent with samples taken from Piper's hairbrush. Moreover, the duct tape taken from the scene matched the roll recovered from Anderson's truck two months earlier. More gruesome physical evidence was discovered around the river, which included several lengths of rope and chains, eye bolts, a vibrator, and half a burned candle. Oh, my Lord. It was a belief that the items were used to torture Piper. They also presented clear evidence that Anderson was a sexual sadist. In May 1997, Anderson was tried and found guilty of kidnapping Piper. He was eventually sentenced to life imprisonment in South Dakota State Pen. However, it would not be the only charge for which he would be convicted. It would not be the only charge. You can throw some Shatner in there. It's more, it's more along the lines of, but wait, there's more. That's right. And if you act now. <laughs> <laughs> According to Hazel and Mishad, there was significant proof that Anderson was a sexual sadist who was excited by the physical and psychological suffering and helplessness of his victims. Their opinion was based on four factors. 
Anderson displayed a obvious interest in sexual bondage, a hallmark of the sexual sadist, which was represented by the restraints, dildo, partially burnt candle, eye bolts, handcuff keys, duct tape, and plywood platform. You think? Maybe he just had like, a, you know, he had a weird hobby of making That's things that apply. What I don't know. Brilliant detective work there, guys, whoever you are. The, <laughs> the evidence found by investigators clearly indicated physical torture. It was surmised that after Piper was abducted, Anderson drove her to a wooded area near Baltic. While there, he may have bound her to the platform, gagged her with duct tape, sheared off her shirt, and then methodically tortured her with the dildo and candle before raping her. It is believed that he then murdered Piper and disposed of her body. Anderson admitted to police and friends that he liked anal sex, a preference his wife did not share. Well, you know what's funny? He's going to have plenty of it now. <laughs> Whether he wants it or not. Whether he it. wants it or not. That's right. Research conducted by Hazelwood and Michaud found that sexual sadists prefer this form of sex. They believe that the dildo was used by Anderson to act out his fantasy. I think that's a little. I, I think that's a little generalization there. I don't think you have to be a sexual sadist to be into that kind of sex. That's, no, no. That that's that's over generalization there, guys. What are you guys from the fucking fifties and forties? It was further suggested that sexual sadists habitually plan their crimes in much greater detail than do other criminals. One of Anderson's longtime friends, Jamie Hammer, brought forth evidence which provided investigators with new information concerning Anderson's sexually sadistic and predatory behavior. They learned that Piper was not his only victim. They also realized that he would have likely continued to prey on women if he hadn't been caught. You think? During police interviews, Hammer said that as far back as high school, he was aware of Anderson's obsession with torturing and murdering women. What? Hammer uh, was intrigued by the idea. How do you not two... tell somebody about this? I apologize, but man, how no, that's fine, hell do you not... If you know something about somebody and you never said anything to anybody, so this yeah, dude's kind of messed up, man. You know, this, We're about to get into that. Hammer was intrigued by the idea, and the two often discussed ways in which to commit the perfect crime. That's why he never told anybody. Oh, damn. Because he was very interested in it. A little too interested in it. Damn prevert. As their conversations progressed and grew more detailed over time, so did their fantasies. It wasn't long before the two men decided to act them out. Hammer and Anderson actually planned abducting the woman together. Hazel and Mishad stated that the two men got wheel poppers and placed them on the road. I don't know what the hell wheel popper. Oh, the things police use to pop tires. That's right. Yeah. They waited for a victim to drive by, run over the poppers and get a flat tire. It was then that they planned to attack the unsuspecting woman. Now, Hammer didn't know it. But Anderson had already pre-selected a victim named Amy Anderson, 26, who was no relation to Robert Leroy Anderson. In November 1994, two years before the abduction of Piper, Amy drove over the wheel poppers on her way home from a friend's house near T, South Dakota, as Anderson planned. Soon her tire went flat and she pulled off the road to change it. As she reached into her trunk to get the spare tire, Anderson grabbed her and carried her off the road towards a wooded area. Luckily, Amy managed to break free and flag down a passing car that stopped to pick her up. Way to go, Amy. Good job, Amy. The attempted kidnapping of Amy remained unsolved until there was a breakthrough in the case two years later. When Anderson was on trial for the abduction of Piper in 1996, Amy's case was brought once again to the forefront. 
and she was able to identify Anderson in a police lineup, but he would never stand trial for her crime. At the time, he was already convicted of kidnapping Piper. What is kidnapped? Kidnapped? Sorry, little Starman reference. Oh, okay. It was too tempting. Okay. You've already said kidnapped several times, and I, I kept thinking about it, so I just had to spit it out. Instead, another friend of Anderson's name, Glenn Marcus Walker, would take the brunt. As it turned out, he too was involved with Anderson and Hammer in Amy's unsuccessful abduction. Man, it's it's Damn, three of these epidemic. perverted motherfuckers? Yeah, Damn. man, they're just finding more and more friends in their sadistic pervert men club. Several years later, during his trial, he pled guilty to the offense. However, it would not be the only crime he would admit that he committed with Anderson. Investigators discovered that several months before Amy was attacked, Anderson and Walker committed another more gruesome crime. See, that's what I'm talking about. When you're sitting in the courtroom and they ain't even mention the crime and he's confessing the shit, I'd be like, oh, shut up, dude. What the hell's wrong <laughs> with you? You just, just loose lips. You just blah, blah, blah. Thinking. In 1991, five years before Piper's abduction, Larissa, 29, and Bill Demansky moved to South Dakota from the Ukraine. They were eager to start a new life in the U.S., and they both began working for the John Morrell & Company meatpacking plant. Uh-oh. I used you to know eat who John, works there. I used to eat John Morrell hot dogs. Holy shit. It's good, it's good food. It, it is. It doesn't mean you ate them. You didn't eat them. This ain't Soylent Green? All right, I'm good. It's not Soylent Green, no. Okay, good deal. Eventually, Bill found work elsewhere, but Larissa remained at the company mostly during the night shift. It was there that she befriended the plant's maintenance man, none other than Robert Leroy Anderson. Big mistake. Like with Hammer, Anderson confided his violent murder fantasies to his lifelong friend, Glenn Walker, who shared a common interest. They both wanted to experience what it would be like to abduct a woman and then kill her. Together, they devised an elaborate plan to kidnap Larissa. Anderson had been stalking her for months already. Man, just, ugh. Freaking weirdos. Anderson and Walker put wheel poppers on the road specifically to damage Larissa's tires, hoping to abduct her after she stopped. However, their plan didn't initially work out the way they hoped. Larissa <laughs> did experience many flat tires, yet she never stopped her car in an isolated place, which made it difficult to abduct her because of the risk that they would get caught. So she was very smart. Good for her. That, I was hoping... They, they, she pulled off, she got out, they attempted to abduct her, but Larissa was a third-degree black belt in karate and beat the shit out of both of these Whoop perverts. they ass. Yeah, that would have been great little uh, yeah. bit for the story. But apparently but, not. So what did happen, Chris? Instead, they decided to try another method. On August 26th, Anderson approached Larissa in the parking lot where they worked. He held her at knife point and ordered her into his vehicle. Then Anderson and Walker drove Larissa to Lake Vermilion. When they arrived at the lake, Walker watched as Anderson dragged Larissa out of the car and raped her several times. According to Hazelwood and Mashad, Larissa pleaded desperately for her life, but Anderson ignored her. During testimony given by Walker several years after the incident, he informed police that Anderson suffocated Larissa with duct tape and then buried her remains beneath a choke cherry bush. At the time of Larissa's death, she was approximately six weeks pregnant. You sorry, sorry bastards. Shortly after Anderson was convicted of the kidnapping of Piper in 1997, Walker confessed to police 
that he was an accomplice in the abduction of Larissa. He told them that he and Anderson methodically planned and carried out the kidnapping, but he claimed that he was not involved in her rape or murder. He also said he would show police the location of Larissa's body. On May 20th of that year, Walker led the police to Larissa's shallow, unmarked grave at Lake Vermilion. When they dug up her remains, they realized that portions of her skeleton were missing. A 1999 Midwest News article stated that forensic experts recovered a total of 57 items related to Larissa, including a tooth, rib, bones from her left and right wrist, several fingers, a right foot and ankle, several fingernails, and jaw and throat bones. Oh, man. Moreover, they found at and near the grave a pair of work gloves, shell casing, and bullets, Larissa's shoes, a part of her belt, jewelry, and pieces of her clothing. These guys aren't very good at hiding evidence. They're very, they're very in-the-moment passion killers. They're not methodical. Yeah, they're like, not thinking about it. You know? No. When all the blood rushes somewhere else, the brain don't work. Yeah. It's just freaking stupid, man. Yeah, they're they're not process killers or product killers. They're more about the experience and less about getting up to the experience of it. Yeah. The authorities were baffled as to why only part of Larissa's body was present in the grave. There were no signs that large animals disturbed the site because it was neatly covered over. The police would get their explanation from an unlikely source several months later. According to a January 20th, 2002 Aberdeen News article, Anderson's prison cellmate, Jeremy Bruner, contacted the Attorney General's office in August of 1997 with information about Anderson's crimes. He told them that Anderson bragged excessively and in great detail about the murders of Piper and Larissa during a one-week period in which they shared a cell. Bruno was able to provide them with significant evidence which would further implicate Anderson. Oh, so in other words, this is like the Elmo Blatch from Shawshank. Yep. The, oh, guy, yeah. that, the guy that knew Andy's true story. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. This gotcha. is him. Bastard. Bruno told authorities that Anderson admitted that he was a serial killer and that he kept trophies of his victims at his grandmother's house. He even told Bruner the precise location of the items. They were later found exactly where he said, tucked between the ceiling and the wall of Anderson's grandmother's basement. The stash included a ring and a necklace belonging to Piper and Larissa, as well as Anderson's gun. Anderson told Bruner that he believed Walker might tell the authorities about his murders. He also had a feeling that Walker would reveal the location of Larissa's body. In order to prevent the police from discovering the identity of Larissa, if ever found, which could link him to the murder, Anderson decided to remove her skull and teeth from the shallow grave. Hazelwood and Michaud suggested that the remains that were exhumed were then thrown from Anderson's car window as he drove from the scene. Bruner's story explained why the police found only portions of Larissa's body. So he chopped her the hell up. Well, he grabbed pieces and threw out the window like you do trash. Yeah, just here and there, you know. Yeah. Fingers here, a couple feet. Some toes. teeth there. Stupid. Bruner claimed that Anderson also bragged about abducting Piper. He said that Anderson admitted to raping and strangling her before disposing of her body in the Big Sioux River, and witnesses said that they saw Anderson on several occasions the day of Piper's disappearance. Bruner explained that the reason for this was because Anderson forgot his watch and the tent and returned to the trailer to retrieve them. <laughs> Stupid. 
I know. Just golly, it it, it it really blows my mind that people this dumb. Now, I'm not rooting. Long... Yeah, I ain't rooting for this bastard. But I'm just saying, you know, just put a sign around your head that says, you know, I rape Dunce. and kill people. You know, just yeah. Go ahead, throw me in prison. Well, it's really annoying that people this stupid still take this long to get caught. Yeah, that that's the worst part. During another conversation, Anderson asked Bruner to murder Walker because he distrusted him and didn't think that he would remain silent about the crimes. After Bruner agreed, Anderson drew up two maps for him. One of the maps depicted the location of Walker's house, and the other map showed where Anderson's grandmother lived. He told Bruner that in her basement he could find his gun. Even though Bruner agreed to kill Walker when he got out of prison, he had no intention of actually following through with the deed. Instead, Bruner struck a bargain with the police, exchanging the information he gathered for a shorter prison sentence. Bruner's testimony, along with that taken from Walker and Hammer, proved to be instrumental in securing another conviction. On September 4th, 1997, Anderson was charged with the murder of Larissa Demansky. Good. He was also charged with the rape and murder of Piper Strail. Good. His trial was scheduled to begin in March of 1999. This time, he would not be so fortunate. Anderson's trial took place in South Dakota's Minnehaha County Circuit Court during the first week of March 1999. The attorneys representing his case were John A. Schlimgen and Mike Butler. Deputy Attorney General Larry Long headed the prosecution team and Judge Tim Dallas Tucker presided over the case. Dr. Jim Dallas Tucker. That's a strong name. Yeah, it is. That's like James Houston Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> the entire trial lasted approximately one month. During the proceedings, Shana's testimony was never heard, even though her description of the events that took place on July 29, 1996 was presented to the court. Eyewitnesses, Anderson's friends, and his one-time cellmate Bruner also testified. The evidence against Anderson was overwhelming, and the defense didn't stand a chance. On April 6, 1999, a jury of eight men and eight women quickly returned their verdict. Anderson was found guilty of four counts, including the rape and murder of Piper and the kidnapping and murder of Larissa. Mm -hmm. Three days later, the same jury sentenced Anderson to death by lethal injection. See, that now I'm sorry. I, I go back to this thing. You know, I, I am an advocate for the death penalty. I believe in it if the crime is harsh enough. But I do believe also they should die the same damn way that they killed their victims. But, you know... Humans, you know, we have to be uh, humane about things and stuff like that. So we give them lethal injection. Somebody like that, I'm sorry, I'd, I'd put him on Sparky and let him ride the lightning for, you know, about half voltage for about twice as long so he'd feel it. Well, lethal injection is not at all humane. That yeah. actually gets that gets messed up way more than hanging or the electric chair does. And many, many times it actually is very, very painful for the prisoner because they, they mess it up so much. So it's it's definitely the worst way to go if you have to be put to death in, in prison. Yeah, well, you know, but the thing is they, they swab the area with alcohol before they put the needles in. Yeah, but <laughs> it still doesn't matter because the chemicals <laughs> they put inside you are terrible. And when they don't get the mixture right, you're literally burning from the inside out, if not worse. So, Damn. Swab it or too, not, who gives a shit? That's too bad, you murdering bastards. You, you, you fried from the inside out. Now, Sorry. I will say, if, if they want to do a, a little bit of adjustment, 
And instead of injecting the chemicals into the arm and inject it into their dick, then that'll work. <laughs> melt that shit off. And then yeah. stick the needle in their brain and melt their brain and take them out. There you go. Anderson's friend Walker was tried for his crimes in March of 2000. He pled guilty to the attempted kidnapping of Amy Anderson, accessory to kidnapping, and first-degree murder and conspiracy to kidnap Larissa Demansky. He received a total of 30 consecutive years behind bars at the South Dakota State Pen. In January 2002, Anderson filed for a death sentence appeal with the South Dakota Supreme Court. According to the Aberdeen News, his lawyers presented 18 issues in their appeal. Some of the arguments raised included a secret deal between prosecutors and Jamie Hammer in exchange for his testimony. Anderson complained that he was not tried separately for the abduction and murder of Larissa, nor did he get the chance to confront Shayna and that he was denied his right to make a statement to the jurors before his penalty was handed down. The Supreme Court met to discuss Anderson's appeal in March 2002, and the court would finally make the decision in May of 2003, but Anderson would never hear the final results. On March 30th, while awaiting the outcome of his appeal, Robert Leroy Anderson committed suicide. Chicken shit. Joe Kafka of the Associated Press claimed that Anderson, quote, was not in his death row cell, but was alone in a segregation cell, end quote, when he was found hanging by a sheet tied to a bar. Huh. He was placed in isolation because he had been found in possession of a razor blade. It was likely that he'd obtained the blade to use as a weapon of self-destruction. Self-destruction? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that what they call it, suicide <laughs> these days? That's what they're calling it. I hit the self-destruct button. Okay. Boom! Approximately three months before Anderson killed himself, his father also committed suicide. He died from a gunshot wound to his head. His father's actions may have been the catalyst which prompted him to take his own life. Kafka quoted Larry Long saying that, quote, there's a lot of women who will sleep better knowing this guy is deceased, end quote. Kafka further quoted Piper's husband Vance saying, quote, this is what we were after anyway. It just saved some time and effort, end quote. After Anderson committed suicide, the Supreme Court of South Dakota dismissed his appeal. Court documents suggested that they would have upheld Anderson's criminal convictions anyway. Another factor in his suicide could have been that he knew his appeal would have been denied. That's what's funny. We dismissed his case after he killed himself. It's like, hello? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah. He's not guilty. Yeah, well, tough shit. He did, you know. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, that is the sad, terrible, terrible story of... Robert Leroy Anderson. Now he's got three names, too, when they're killers. Robert yeah, Leroy yeah. Anderson, you know. John Wilkes Booth. Yep. Lee that's Harvey it. Oswald. That's it. And yeah. just, man, good story, though. I mean, sad story, but a good one. I've never heard yeah. of the guy. Me either. No. But, but he, he definitely did some, some terrible, <laughs> terrible things, you know. Indeed, sir. All right, James, well, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks at home uh, where they can find us. And... More importantly, if they're very interested in hearing ad-free early access episodes, or they can yeah. do that. All right, my friend. Well, of course, we are on the uh, social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, of course, under State of Fear Podcast. And we also have a Patreon page where if you'd like the extra content, the behind-the-scenes buffoonery and other things, 
because trust me, there's plenty of that. Uh, Ad-free episodes, um, special episodes that we record, things like that. Uh, rest stop episodes, yep, which are special content not available to uh, the standard listener. Uh, yep. We have three levels: one, five, and ten bucks. It's cheap as heck. Go check Super it cheap. out. Go check it out. If you don't like it, yeah. what do you got? Ten bucks. Hell, if, if you do the five dollar one, you still get access to early episodes and ad free episodes. If you don't like it, you just lost five bucks. That's that's less than a McDonald's meal. That's it. Absolutely. And uh believe that's about it. All right, Matt. Well, um, another fun time. I mean, fun is in its learning. I love to learn. It's hey, interesting. Another another great story, man. Good job. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, so let's go ahead and get back in our jalopy and head on to the next date, let's shall we? Let's get it, bro. Let's get in and get on down the road. You take care, everybody, and y'all have a nice evening. See y'all later. Bye. Bye.